Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. And today, uh, I really need to vent about our president, Joe Biden. Obviously, he was not my first choice for this job of being president, although I acknowledge that his moderate manner, and I say that in the kindest possible way, appealed to many voters traumatized by our last president. But Biden acknowledges that we need to get things done quickly. Quickly. And yet, yet, you know, Jim Hightower always says that there are only two things in the middle of the road, yellow lines and dead armadillos. He's from Texas. Biden proves Hightower might have been wrong. The middle of Biden's moderate road is already strewn with all sorts of carnage. The wreckage of the $15 minimum wage increase, airstrikes on Syria before any consultation with Congress, kids in immigration detention centers again, and a broken promise to give Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico, the supplemental social security they are immediately eligible for if they move to the mainland. But here's the worst part. All these things are wrong, and what is Biden putting his focus and political capital into? Trying to salvage the nomination of Nira Tandon. I said I needed a vent. This woman doesn't belong in government. I can't stand her stone-hearted neoliberalism, her ruthlessness, her cruelty. But even if I were a ne neoliberal, strike me down, oh, high powers, I'd still oppose her as exactly the kind of corrosive personality we need to get out of politics. Politics isn't beanbag, the street corner philosopher Finley Peter Dune once said a long time ago. Been there, done that, you know? It's, it's not everything goes the way you want it to. But at some point, we have to call out the new president when his fighting the wrong fights, like, like right now for New York Tandon, and the important fights are going the wrong way. Raising the minimum wage is badly overdue. And it belonged in the stimulus because, as I said the other day, raising the minimum wage is stimulus. So Biden couldn't pull it off. You're not going to be able to win every fight. But we will never know if he was right not to hold up the stimulus package to try to win this. He could have tried. He should have tried. What we do know is he needs to get it done now, another way, and quickly. We can already see that it may end up short of the $15, which was already a compromise and a fight for 10, 10 years we've been fighting for a $15 minimum wage. If we were just adjusting for inflation, the minimum wage should be more like $25 an hour. Adjust with the cost of living in many cities, it should be around $33 an hour. The money isn't a way of keeping political score. This is real money for working people. This is not a political football. I will put one demand in right here. If we can't get to $15 right now, we must index in any increase to inflation. So we never, ever, ever hurt poor people this way again, working people this way again, women, immigrants. So that fight for a fair minimum wage isn't over, but we need to hear from President Biden. I'm one of those progressives who needs to know he really is on our side and is ready to fight, not just to the last drop of my own blood, but to the last drop of the Democratic Party's blood. This is about who we are and about who he is. And right now, I am not very sure. He campaigned on all these issues, as did Kamala Harris. And he's just out there blatantly reversing his positioning, thinking no one's noticing, like it's not going to matter. Furthermore, we need to see his strength and leadership. If he is this weak, if he shows this weakness this early on, 
he's showing not only conservatives how weak he is and that they could steamroll him, but of course our centrists like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin and others. And he's showing progressives. So if he's going to play this week, we have to start flexing up. All right, I vented. Uh, we have a great show today. We have Joshua Khan Russell and Lance from the Serfs. And right after this break, the one and only Ben Dixon is here, host of the Ben Dixon Show, and many other things too. He's going to give us some updates, and we're going to talk about our frustration with Biden. Stick around right after the break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. It's another month, another book club month. You guys don't know about the book club. Uh, we're having fun with it. A lot of fun. We just uh, partnered up with Verso Books, friends of the show, and they're going to be working with us. We have a book schedule we're going to be releasing in the next couple of days. So you can take a look at the lineup for the next few months. If you don't know about the book club, you can off. I mean, we have we have three different types of book clubs, one book a month, two books a month or three or four books a month, which is what I'm doing. Um, it's fun. It's uh, it's definitely challenging me. <laughs> to use my time a little bit more efficiently uh, to keep up with the books and the conversations and be ready for the conversations we have with authors when the authors are available, uh, just the conversations around the topics. You can go check that out at patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. Make sure when you sign up to go to the book club options because unfortunately, Patreon doesn't allow us to separate the two. Uh, but you can also become a patron. That's how we keep everything rolling. And with a patron membership, you get a mug, which I don't have here, or you could get a bag or a sticker. You know, you know the jam. That's what you do when you sign up at patreon.com slash the Nomiki show. That's Nomiki. All right, we will be back in a couple of seconds with the one and only Benjamin Dixon. Welcome back. I'm going to do something a little different uh, right now because this is a topic that if you know enough about our show and have watched and uh, have watched me prior, I did a lot of reporting um, on the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, and there is a, <laughs> something that gets under my skin a lot, but also <laughs> that's because it gets under people who are from Puerto Rico. Uh, they're skinned a lot. Uh, today on Capitol Hill, there was a, it's happening right now, a coalition has come together uh, for a bill introducing statehood to Congress. Now, let me be very clear, just to break this down. On the island of Puerto Rico, statehood party, the statehood party is associated, I'm gonna go through those names in a second, Dorsey, so you can take that down. The statehood party, on the island of Puerto Rico is associated with the far right. They are people who are associated uh, with the statehood party. I'm just gonna give you a little scroll. Uh, the, the representative, the, the representative um, resident commissioner, which is like a Congress member, but obviously can't vote. Um, she who's, who's introducing this, she comes from the Trump wing of the party. Keep that in mind. The statehood party is the right wing on the island. And she was a, a co-chair of the Trump campaign. So her name is Jennifer Gonzalez. Okay, I'm gonna just roll through. I saw a really great set of uh, graphics on this on Instagram. Just some, some background on statehood in on the island. Of course, now it's not coming up. Um, 
the people who are associated with this party are the religious right. They are people who are anti-LGBTQ. They are people who are selling off the island right now to major investors and real estate developers. They're the ones who are pushing for tax benefits so that Puerto Rico becomes the Cayman Islands and it's a tax refuge. They don't want to eliminate the debt. In fact, Jennifer Gonzalez said today that becoming a state would not mean that the debt is eliminated. So let's just keep this in mind as this PR stunt, because that's what it is, uh, is presented before Congress. Dorsey, can you put the, the tweet up of uh, the ad that was put on the New York Times uh, today? Because both Representative Aos, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Nidia Velasquez, uh, both of Puerto Rican descent, have introduced a uh, an alternative bill, which is basically to give the island of Puerto Rico the choice to determine, uh, which is probably the more fair way of doing it. All right, so this is this is the ad. If you're listening to the governor of Puerto Rico, you're not even getting half the story. The governor is a statehooder. So there are a lot of Democrats out there who say, yeah, 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 but like if Puerto Rico became a state, we'd have another Senate member. That's not true at all. The current governor is, is conservative. The last governor was conservative. The resident commissioner is conservative. There is no guarantee whatsoever. In fact, there's more of a chance that those two senators would be conservative. Do you see what's going on here? Can we click on the actual advertisement so so folks can see it? So this is an ad. Uh, it's it's you know discussing colonialism. Self Determination Act is the act that uh, is being presented by uh, Representative Ocasio Cortez and Nidia Velasquez. Can you scroll down a little bit more to the bottom of the ad? Okay. So this is a coalition of different groups. You should go check them out. Um, the the island is because of a Supreme Court ruling. Uh, the island people who Puerto Ricans on the island important, do not have the same benefits as they would when they go to the states. And that has nothing to do with being a state or not. That has to do with a Supreme Court ruling uh, that is essentially white supremacist. And it's based, based on a, 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 you know, a, a, an opinion uh, rooted in white supremacy. So we're going to talk about this more, um, hopefully tomorrow on the show. But I wanted to give you a quick update and just my gentle reminder that statehood is the far right. Statehood is the far right. And there are many different opinions on the island. Everything is rooted in status. But keep that in mind when you see people saying, Democrats saying, well-meaning neoliberals saying, well-meaning liberals saying that Puerto Rico should be a state. It's not up to us to decide, I believe. I believe that the people of the island should be able to determine on their own. And they've had these votes, but they're not overwhelming and they're often complicated and they're never acknowledged on the island. Ben Dixon is, of course, the host of The Benjamin Dixon Show. And you have new shows, too. Want to give people updates if, if yeah. they don't know? It is Like It or Not with Benjamin Dixon, Rebecca Zor, and DJ Exclusive every morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for having me, Nomi. Thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. So we got a lot to talk about here. Um, how are you feeling about the Biden administration right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling like they're making it entirely too easy to oppose them. Um, besides some, besides a couple of, uh, you know, things that they, you know, he spoke out about the unions and, you know, not a, not what's happening in Alabama specifically, but generally speaking, that was cool. 
all right. But everything else, I'm like, it, it's pretty much a wash. They're fighting harder for near a 10 than they are 15 an hour. So, I, I mean, it, it, and they're still actually in the background noise about uh, Rahm Emanuel. So, uh, you know, if he's going to continuously make these kind of steps and then not fight on behalf of 15 an hour, not give the people 2000 but he's going to reduce it for you know by $600. And, and then we still haven't gotten that. Then, you know, that's a, that's a major problem. And they're going to make it extremely easy for Republicans and Donald Trump to come right back in 2022 and 2024. We were talking about this earlier today on the majority report. Um, the margin of win was smaller than that of uh, between Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump. And it wasn't because of sexism. It's because I believe, you know, this country is a little bit more conservative than we want to acknowledge. I'm not saying that it is totally conservative. I think it's a bit more conservative than maybe we all feel. Um, and, and a lot of that, I believe, has to do with the fact that the Democratic Party is just basically non-existent. Right. You know, sure, we can get $15 minimum wage passed in Florida. And that's great when you lead with certain issues, um, but especially in states where the work has been done. I mean, there was a lot of energy and say what you will about Florida, there is organizing there. Yeah. Um, but there are plenty of parts of the country where there hasn't been. And and the Democratic Party just put somebody up who's, you know, like an Amy McGrath <laughs> who's gonna be running again. Uh, you know, and, and and as a result, they're able to swoop in. So the margin was 42,000 votes between Trump and Biden in swing states. Um, my like, I don't. I'd, I'd love to get your your thoughts on this because I feel like they're not. They're just coasting. Yeah. And coasting, <laughs> you don't coast when you barely won. Right. Right. No. Exactly. Right. They. I, I think so. They feel like they can come in and coast. Um, much like that video of Pete Buttigieg riding his bike into work, as if that's the type of thing that people are looking for now. They, they're mistaking this for 2008 when a lot of us were fooled by the symbolism. You have Kamala Harris getting down hard to work with papers in front of her hands. And she's, she, the, the heels were on, I mean, she was, she was dressed to the hilt like she was looking fly as all get out. That don't matter. It does not matter at all. The people don't want Instagram leaders. The people need everything that we voted for. We voted for $2,000 per American, right? We voted for $15 an hour. They ran on that. They said they were going to do it. And now they're abandoning, abandoning it, abandoning it in exchange for near attending tendon. And I'm, I'm really like, I, I wonder how it works in their brains because are they not paying attention? I think they're satisfied with the spoils of their victory and they're so enamored by the fact that they're now moving into Washington DC and they're taking all of these important positions and they're getting all these new notorieties, they're secretary of this and undersecretary of that, but they're missing a really important point. The American people don't care about that. The American people sent them there to do stuff for us materially. But isn't this just sort of the dynamic that's existed for the last, you know, since since neoliberalism took over the, the Democratic Party, that the Republicans ginormously F up, Democrats get elected, they coast, they coast on imagery, they coast on charm, they, yeah. you know, and 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 then it paves the way for the next Republican to come in exactly. and do more damage. Exactly. Yeah, no, they they don't they have not learned. They're still running the 1992 playbook. Right. Mm -hmm. They're running the 1992 playbook, both in terms of their political strategy, but also implementation. They're, they, you know, Joe Biden honestly believes that there's a way that he can work with Republicans as if they're going to have some type of epiphany. And Republicans are just sitting back salivating, laughing at the fact that they're going to steamroll over him every single chance that they get. And because Democrats won't even make this a referendum on Republicans not wanting to help the people because they're demonstrating themselves that they don't want to help the people. It's going to make it that much easier for Republicans to catalyze their 
fall their faux uh, populism and actually quite honestly they're 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 nationalized populism in order to get power again so all the republicans are going to have to do is say look the democrats didn't take care of you and we will case closed 2022 is a wrap no, that's exactly it. And, and and that's basically what Biden wants anyway, whether or not Biden stays in, in office or doesn't. I mean, if he keeps the presidency by some miracle, um, I never thought that he wanted to get to win the Senate in Georgia. And you're in Georgia. I mean, yeah. did you feel I mean, there was organizing happening from Georgians in the in the state. Mm -hmm. But did you feel that the Biden administration or the campaign um, was fully invested in Georgia? Was it is it like what was the dynamic there? You know, I, I don't know if that was a product of, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And because in terms of like advertising, if you just look at advertising alone, mm -hmm. you you would see an occasional Joe Biden ad. Um, and again, uh, occasional is all relative. You saw a lot of Joe Biden ads, but the area was completely saturated with every other organization that mm -hmm. was organizing on the ground, every other political action committee. The people that are on the ground were not associated with the Biden administration or the their victory team or any of that. It was all local organizing the I would say it was like 99 to one um, so I don't know if that was a result of them not being interested but I do see like what was the purpose of them of us winning those two seats right it almost would have been better for them for Joe Biden to not have won those seats because then they would not have been held accountable but now we gave them those seats and now they're still not doing anything yeah I mean that's ultimately yeah like they're they're more interested in negotiating with Lisa Murkowski or setting yeah. her up to pretend that they're negotiating with her rather than you know, bending the will of your own Democrats. I mean, right. there's so much. It's like they're looking for the excuse and the excuse is Joe Manchin, but you're the effing president right. and you can get on the phone and you, I mean, you have to show your leadership, show your power. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, you know, you're also a creature of a Senate. Where is the Lyndon Johnson in you? Why aren't you demanding people come into the White House and talk to them off of your toilet? Like, literally, right. <laughs> where is that? No, <laughs> I mean, Johnson quite, reference, uh, yeah, no, honestly, it's, um, it's 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 they couldn't be more transparent right we they you know in in short order they came in and did the exact opposite of everything that they said that they were going to do so i think to that end that he has no incentive or no desire joe biden has no desire to actually get in joe manchin's face and demand that he votes for the people like lyndon johnson does in that picture right but you know for him it's like you know well the parliamentarian <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my hands up. He can't do anything. So, of course, he's not going to say anything to Joe Manchin because he won't even say anything to an unelected official. That's right. OK, so this is all happening. Um, you know, there's there's an opportunity for the left to really push back and highlight because, I mean, even reporters are are basically seeing this dynamic and saying, why are you spending so much energy on your tandem and not on the $15 minimum wage? I mean, that's right. from like NBC reporters. Um so there's an opportunity. There's 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 a space open now to like really throw it in Biden's face. And if not Biden, Harris, who probably wants to have, you know, a future where she could be elected president. Right. Right. Um, there's real leverage here if we can get our act together. But simultaneously, the left right now is like <laughs> without a major leader. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you're a host as well. Like we know how hard it is on these platforms now that are very much inclined to supporting the right wing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, our numbers are like nothing compared to Ben Shapiro's or any of these places. So, you know, the unifying, the solidarity on the left right now, like I think a lot of people feel frustrated. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's your take? Like, how do uh, we make sure to line up against Biden? What can we do? Um, 
I, I honestly, the, the left is in no position to do so except for our own individual efforts. And then some of us can collectively get together and do so. Um, but we've, 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 the left is really good at fracturing itself at the most critical time that we need <laughs> to be organized. Um, and I think that's on purpose, but I digress. I think in terms of what we do, it really should, it, it, it has to be just, it's going to be an entrenched fight. And it's going to be one that not a lot of the people who are making the, not, the most noise right now, they're not equipped for this fight. They're not going to be here in four years when we're still fighting because it was all about a glorious moment that they thought that they can do everything in one, you know, fell swoop at the beginning of Nancy Pelosi's uh, speakership, second speakership. Um, and so to that end, I think we really have to just dig in our heels and do a couple of things, primary the hell out of everybody. <laughs> everybody like mercilessly i don't care if they are your parents favorite politician or if they've been in office and they changed your diaper when you're i don't care who they are mm -hmm. we've got to primary them and we've got to show them that there is organizing power in terms of uh in terms of the left even if the left isn't organized there are enough organizations that have resources and pull and impact that we can actually mount some serious primary challenges and i think that's where we should put all of our energy in terms of applying pressure to joe Biden, they are they're on a suicide run, if you ask me, because hmm. if they cannot clearly see that they're getting ready to run into a brick wall of 2022 and 2024, there's literally nothing that we can do to stop them from doing that. We can shout. We can talk about it. We can cover it, which we should. But at the same time, we need to prepare to take them down just as much as Republicans are preparing to take them down. What's Bernie's role in all this right now? I mean, he's Bernie and, you know, with the, everything he's doing, you know, he Bernie's one of those dudes. He's going to fight to the end. Bernie is going to be in like, you know, another 20 years or however, 130. He's going to be on his his bed with all his great grandchildren. And he's going to still be saying F around to find out. Right. Because that's just Bernie all the way to the end. I, I what what's disappointing about this moment in terms of the organization of the left is that the left is there's a lot of people on the left who are more interested in um, declaring that some of these leaders are not our leaders right are they're not progressive enough and here Bernie Sanders is to the end fighting on behalf of the people I'm sorry if that's not progressive enough for some people then maybe they need to check their progressivism you know they're like Nina Turner now she's not progressive enough for people and I'm like these are individuals who actually have laid everything on the line for these very specific fights right mm -hmm. They don't get the, I mean, Bernie Sanders ran for president, but he's not a superstar in terms of like the glamour and the great, Bernie is out there doing the work, but mm -hmm. it's, it's just disappointing that sometimes the people who are working the hardest are oftentimes lambasted the most by people who claim to love them. Well, yeah, it's, 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 you know, you got to direct your energy at the right people. If you're not directing your energy right now at Biden and, and yeah. to pressure him and, you know, it, it I don't know. That's what solidarity is, right? This is the whole point in solidarity. This is the conversation that I wanted to have with you is, you know, how do we collectively enhance our solidarity and, and make sure that we're not becoming vehicles of the right wing? Because this mm. is ultimately what happens is, you know, when you're more busy, forget about calling up the Democrats. That's that's that needs to happen. They're in power. But when you're calling out the left for <laughs> tone, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I don't even know what they're calling it. They're, they're, who do you really want to have? This? Yes, please. I do. I, I don't know if I'm just, I'm trying to think, do I really want to have this conversation? Oh, okay, sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's, it, yeah, yeah. Um, no, we can talk I'm, about actually, Dr. to all of us. We're talking Dr. about Seuss. all of us here because it, I, I think it's intentional. Look at the moment that we're in right now. Yeah. The moment when there should be, if not a unified left voice, 
a a mildly unified left voice or a moderately unified left voice but instead it's fractured into a thousand different pieces and to the point where you have people now who look at uh, I, there are people on twitter who are calling uh nina turner a conservative Right. This is the kind of, of of derangement that we're dealing with right now in terms of the divide, the divisiveness of the left. And I think that's on purpose. I mm -hmm. think that there has been an, a, a, a tremendous power play to neutralize the left. And, and, and it worked. You know why? Because the left wasn't that strong to begin with. Right. And if you think about it, like it, it takes a concerted effort, a lot of energy and resources to con consistently destroy the one conduit in this country that is consistently fighting on behalf of the people and every generation, here we go, you know, they're taking it down. First, they take out the leaders, right? Yep. They, you know, you know what we, what, what the left is going through now is nothing compared to the sixties when they just literally would kill them. They the actually killed them. Yes. Right. And then, and then it was just like a period of nothingness when I, you know, born in 1980, there was, there was no, you know, solidified, unified national left. You had to go and find it. You had to seek it out. And as soon as it started emerging again, what happened? Just fractured into a thousand pieces. Yeah, people, the hit pieces came out, they were smearing folks, rumors go around, you know, folks left the Bernie campaign to go work for Biden. And like, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of this stuff. And then, and then, um, you know, it's interesting because like, I've been thinking about this too, thinking, okay, well, why didn't this stuff happen during the rise of Bernie? And mm. ultimately, you know, I think some of this fracturing, um, as you said, is well-funded, you know, was, was, we were all good, you know, they had no problem with us when we were challenging Biden or yeah. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. But the second Biden wins, yeah. he can't, he doesn't need the, the progressives to fall in line with him because he, you know, whoever, whatever conservatives are out there who are trying to, to, to crack at Biden, they know that the way to do that is to make sure that the left is not unifying to make uh, Joe Biden yeah. more progressive. And yeah. that's the thing that I think like folks need to keep in mind. When yeah. we're fractured now, it prevents us from pressuring Biden in which, in a way in which we might actually have some possible, there's a possibility, there's a path towards, maybe. And, you, and, and here, I want you to watch this other, this other thing that happened, right? So in this process of fracturing, the, there's a portion of the so-called left at this juncture that is closer to aligning with the alt-right than ever before. Right. It was a concerted effort year after year after year. I think we saw it like every, it was almost every spring, uh, every spring, someone would come out with a major push and, and, and enough enough impact and influence or resources to make it a national conversation as to whether or not the left should align with the right. All right. And now at the moment that we need a unified left to terrify the hell out of Joe Biden, um, now they're closer. Some of our leftist comrades are closer to aligning with the Proud Boys. Yeah, that's I'm sorry. That's just too that's too. The timing is too perfect for it to be coincidental. And, and their audiences have grown um, with a lot of conservative members. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's very concerning. Um, we have to have our eyes open. I mean, it's it's one thing to be able to be in the Senate or in Congress and co-sign on a bill with a, a Republican over one issue. It's another yeah. thing to move your audience towards the far fascism. right, fascism. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. That is the rise of fascism. That is how yeah. fascism always rises. There, you know, there aren't enough Proud Boys out there. They have to expand their audience and they need to right. bring it in. And the, the, the conservative movement has been facing an existential crisis for years so much that they publish reports on it and that they knew the country was getting more diverse, younger, more open-minded. Some of these culture issues that they used to you know, fight for didn't work anymore. So they had to find new flavors. And now it's yeah. cancel culture and, yeah. uh, you know, they're they're censoring me. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> sear, it's just all sorts of uh, neo-fascism that yeah. um, 
you know, and, and I mean, but how much of that is because the Republican Party didn't have their act together? Um, like the institutional Republican Party, the Bush types. They, you know, the, the institutional Republicans, they really thought that they could control that Rush Limbaugh side of the party because they did for so long until it wasn't, it was insufficient, right? Mm -hmm. it, the, the dog whistles were insufficient. The, and then the, the bullhorn almost became insufficient. And so now it became like live action role play with, in terms of like storming the Capitol and, and it's completely out of their control. So the institutional part of the Republican party, um, they are all but out of power, except the extent to which they can continuously align with Donald Trump. And this is why Mitch McConnell made it clear that he's willing to support uh, Donald Trump in 2024 if you becomes a nominee. This is why Mitt Romney capitulated and, and just kind of acquiesced to the reality that Donald Trump could win again. It's because the institutional part of the Republican Party is on its way out. And the only thing that's going to be left is going to be this rabidly racist and fascistic arm that is worshiping literally with a golden calf, Donald Trump. It's, it's funny you say that because uh, right now Congress has, they're doing uh, hearings on the events of, of January 6th and how it played out. And uh, Tom Cotton, <laughs> that guy decides uh let's put it i think we have a tweet up there tom cotton is not talking about the white supremacists he's not talking about the extremism <laughs> he's suddenly talking about ms ms 13 on a, at a hearing on the capitol riots like look over there oh we, we have this other issue with these immigrants in long island and you know attacking like white people in long island <laughs> um I mean, remember when Donald Trump was obsessed with MS-13 and yeah. would go and do these rallies in Long Island, which you know had impact. A lot of Democrats lost seats in, in Long Island and in the New York State Senate and uh, other you know potential congress congressional seats as well. Yeah. But I mean, that's an example. Tom Cotton, like, he's they can't even there the inability to deal with something so extraordinary as mm. the Capitol Hill protest to to see the reality of it. Simultaneously, you have the Biden administration in their inability to see the reality of yeah. this pandemic, the reality yeah. of this economy, the reality of this digital space, which is facilitating this stuff out of, you know, I feel like we have a government that's not their feet, they're not on the ground and they're not like tethered to reality. Right. Because they have, they don't. They don't feel like they actually have to be. See, I, I, there's a part of me that understands like what this really is, and, and and I tried not to engage in it because it's infuriating to the point of rage. Right? They know that at the end of the day, they can call out their hounds and crush any rebellion, any revolution, any protest against them. And I think it's because of that they carry themselves so cavalierly. Like mm -hmm. some of the stuff that they actually say and try to get away with, I would be terrified of saying to the American people, when you have 45 million people who lost their jobs because of COVID-19, you have millions of people standing in bread lines, you have I mean, hundreds of thousands of people who are unable to pay, I'm sorry, millions of people who are unable to pay their rent, right? And so there's a certain level of disregard and disdain that they have. And I think it's because they have the arrogance of the militarized police state in this country. And they know that if things ever really got out of hand, all right, if people really had a, which we do, 
But if people really started acting on it, which during the summer we started to, and we saw that we saw how they crushed it, right? We saw they crushed it with the police state in yeah. every single city. They came down like a hammer. And so to a certain extent, the people have got, I think we, the people have to understand that this government has completely abdicated its responsibility and they are no longer engaging in a social contract with us. And to a certain extent, we're gotta be innovative and find ways of taking care of ourselves because they clearly do not care. Ben Dixon, I feel like this is our Bolshevik moment. Ah. <laughs> like, I'm like, Workers of the world, you know, I'm just, exactly. I, listen, listen, it's, I mean, they, keep, they can only tell us so many times. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that the, the this social contract comment is, is spot on. They've completely violated and, and I mean, it's this is this is outrageous right now what's yeah. happening like watching these hearings and and there's just they're not accepting reality um we're living in a conspiratorial government at this point on both sides yeah. ben dixon i love you i wish we had more time come back on tomorrow soon. tomorrow right? oh right tomorrow wait morning. that's tomorrow isn't it tomorrow morning yes. bright and early so we'll pick it up right back up tomorrow morning Thanks fantastic so Thanks where, where can where can we find your show tomorrow morning? Uh, right here on YouTube, um, the Benjamin Dixon Show channel, Twitch, everywhere everywhere something streams, we're streaming. Fantastic! All right, see you tomorrow, care, no, bright and early. Right. I'll have coffee. <laughs> Absolutely, take care. <laughs> Thanks. All right, we'll be right back after this break with Joshua Con Russell and Lance from the Surfs to talk about all the news today. Ooh. Hello, welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Our dear friend, Joshua Con russell is here. He is the executive director of the Wildfire Project and freshly shaven. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, it's almost springtime. It is almost springtime and pandemic one year anniversary, which now I'm going to think of every time spring hits. Yeah, wow. Wow. How are That's you? It. I'm doing, I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So I, um, you know, I've been kind of in this like, haze of our country is way more conservative than we are really registering um, based on a lot of, you know, things that are happening, not just the fact that like gerrymandering exists and things are being eliminated and that the vote count difference between Biden and Trump was actually worse than people imagine. And that it's just going to potentially pave the way for Republicans taking control in 2022 and possibly 2024. Um, the Supreme Court, not to mention that, and also just like the rise of the far right being so young, uh, a lot of it coming from like young people. And I bring this up because uh, Ari Berman, who is a, you know, if, if you don't know Ari Berman, he is always discussing, um, you know, voter registration and uh, gerrymandering and voting laws across the country. So uh, let's play this clip from Ari Berman. I think why now is because we are seeing the weaponization of Trump's big lie all around the country, Republicans are pointing to the fact that so many of their voters believe the election was stolen as a reason to cut back on voting. So for two months, Trump said the election was stolen. And afterwards, now we are seeing Republicans in state after state, including all of these key swing states like Georgia and Arizona, rush to restrict access to the ballot. They are not just targeting mail voting, which is what Trump has largely decried. They are also targeting early voting and other methods that are perceived to benefit Democrats. And so this is really the biggest assault on voting rights we've seen in decades. The numbers are stunning. 250 restrictions on voting introduced in 43 states in just two months. And it's a direct result of what President Trump and now former President Trump has done. So, you know, he's talking about Arizona. There's a, 
an argument going before the Supreme Court uh, over Arizona's had early voting for a long time. It's something that they're very they're used to handling. Um, that's why the mail-in voting was not attacked in Arizona uh, the way it was in other states because conservatives use early voting and and so do uh, liberals in Arizona. Um, but I, this idea of the big lie, I'm it's it's like haunting me because I feel like as progressives were we as a movement are consumed as we should be with um, fights that are right in front of us, the crises. And there are mounting crises, tons of crises, but it's like drinking from a fire hose or whatever you know metaphor you wanna put out there. We, until we address the big issue, which is the big lie, um, you know, the big lie is what created the, the, the riots on Capitol Hill. That was, you know, the big lie is, is is perpetuated on these platforms that we live on and you know shocker uh our numbers are nowhere near what some of these like far right-wing extremists who live big lies the big lie has permeated every single aspect of our culture even to the point where joe biden's unresponsiveness and his ability to work with republicans shows that he is acquiescing to the big lie i mean joshua like i i normally have a lot of hope for the future and that our generation and younger are much more progressive and forward thinking, but they're really outmaneuvering us right now. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, as reality gets more and more ridiculous, it's a lot easier to lie about it, right? Because, and I think this is, this is the mistake. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes, but one of the main mistakes that people who call for moderation or that centrists in general make is the idea that, that people are looking for some sort of calm response to a crazy world. And they're like, no, people are looking for a dramatic response to a crazy world. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the cycle that Ari Berman's talking about is amazing, right? Where, cause, so you, you lie to your base and you say, you, you know, you tell, you tell Republicans that the election was stolen and then they go and cite that as justification for all their behavior. These, oh my God, 70% of Republicans believe this. So therefore we have to take it seriously. It's like, you know, they believe it because of your propaganda. And so that's how the cycle goes. And I do think it's incumbent upon social movements then to be meeting um, meeting the crazy out there because that, and we, we talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago about how, um, you know, all, all the systems that support life on this planet are in free fall or collapse with climate change that's putting pressure on our economic, political, and social systems. And so as things get more and more destabilized, yeah. the ground is more and more fertile for people. Of course, why wouldn't you believe some conspiracy theory? It's It, it doesn't seem less feasible than the real explanation of what, why things are how they are. And so um, I think we need to, so I'll, I'll give one example of what I mean which is um, we, we, we talked before about the Keystone XL uh, campaign. And so mm-hmm. th- this was a campaign against a multi-billion dollar oil company that lasted for 10 years that I was a part of. And the, um, the movement wisdom at the time was that you, um, you build an escalating uh, uh, ladder of engagement, right? 
Um, and we, instead of trying to get people involved by first clicking on a petition, and then maybe if you sign the petition, then maybe you'll go to a meeting. And then maybe if you go to the meeting, then maybe you'll facilitate the meeting and up and up and up. We invited people to come participate in a dramatic civil disobedience action as their first ever action, come risk mm -hmm. arrest at the White House to fight this pipeline. And the reason that they that it, it was so successful is because so many people had been hearing for so long, climate change is terrible, uh, so take shorter showers, right? The prescription <laughs> for the problem did not match the Recycle. scale of the problem. Yeah, exactly. Banned so we straws. offered people a prescription that match the scale of the crisis. And I think that's why so many people who are believing the big lie is they're being offered a narrative that matches the deprivation they're feeling in real life. And unless the left mm. does that as well, um, it's going to, uh, I, I think the, the, the big lie is gonna be more compelling. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, I, I was on my Instagram uh, last night and I was baffled by someone I know who's very successful, educated, posting an entire rant about how at this stage in the pandemic, right? An entire rant. Oh, they're in Europe too, which you'd think like, um, about how the pandemic wasn't real and it was a way to force us to stay home and not be working with each other and to control us. Um, and I know that this was rooted in like some conspiracy theories that are being propagated online. I just, I just know it based on her recent posts. Um, I know we all have examples of that. Like we know people like this who, who've bought into these conspiracies, but I think it was so shocking to me. It was just how somebody who was living in truth, or at least I thought so, um, a reality, I guess is the better way of saying it was so easy. Like it, they, they flipped her so quickly, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like two yeah. years ago to now. And it freaks the hell out of me because who, what's next? Who's next? How do you... Right. Well, and you were talking earlier with, with Ben about, you know, the um, whatever you want to call it, the dumb, dumb left, et cetera. Like there's, this is why being part of real organizations matters, right? right. Which is that if, if you are part of a social movement, meaning you're part of an organization that offers you a lens with which to interpret the world around you, right? That's, that's, that's the value of ideology when your ideology is grounded in real life practice. So you're constantly uh, adapting and evolving to your circumstances, but you're rooted in a basic lens through which you can interpret the world around you. So as the world's around us, is more and more on fire as, as the old order that we grew up in and the things that, that a lot of our generation took for granted are more and more upended. What do you have to anchor your, uh, your sense of how you make meaning of what's going on? And if, if, if you're not part of real life organizations and if you're not part of, of social movements, right. then you're gonna blow in the wind with whatever explanation makes sense in the moment based on whatever social milieu you're a part of online. And so it, it means that I, I think a lot of the audience, the, the kind of um, newly politicized in the last, let's say six years, left-wing online audience is super malleable and super susceptible to being pulled, uh, pulled in some of these conspiratorial directions uh, because you're not rooted at anything. And right. that, that's, that's the value that being part of an organization can offer you is, is, yeah. is rooting. It's also the value of of having a you know doing the best to politically educate yourself and understand you know mm -hmm. what 
what your philosophies are and what the history reflects. Um, Lance from the Surfs, hey there. Thanks for joining us. Is he all set up? Can you hear us? I think we're having some audio issues. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up all that's that's for our next clip. Uh, I, 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 God, I had to do this just because Joy Reid tries to be crazy. Mic to get the mic to get the <laughs> um, so we have a, a clip of Joy Reid. She's asking Representative Pramila Jayapal, why Democrats always seem to be in an abusive relationship with Republicans? I think it's on topic. Uh, she drives me crazy. Let's play that clip. <laughs> Can, can you explain to just our viewers uh, who are on the progressive side and young viewers, I get asked by this even by my own kids, why don't Democrats do that? Why do Republicans, all Democrats, always seem to, it's almost sort of like they're, they're sort of in an abusive relationship where they think if they just cook a better meal, um, they won't get licks. Uh, do you, do you, can you explain why Democrats refuse to do the things that Republicans would do if they were in y'all's position? Well, I can just say that I think there is some, uh, you know, sort of past notion of a Senate where you could have good policy discussions and good people on both sides would come together. But let's not forget that the vast majority of these senators refused to vote to convict Donald Trump. The vast majority of them did not say anything in the in the months leading up to January 6th. The vast majority have not been willing to do things that are incredibly popular in their own districts. And so I don't think that there's suddenly gonna be some, you know, kumbaya moment where they're gonna uh, drink different coffee and suddenly decide they want to get on the same page about delivering for working people. And that's what I think is so essential because, Joy, we've got to deliver. We can't go back to voters in two years and say, um, I'm sorry, uh, you know, a parliamentarian who is doing her job, but she's unelected, not like the rest of us who are elected to these positions, deliver promises to voters. We can't go back to voters and say, I'm sorry, we couldn't do it because the parliamentarian ruled we couldn't do it. That's just not gonna fly for 27 million people who are struggling yeah. to put food on the table and earn a decent wage. I mean, okay, great point uh, by Representative Jayapal. Uh, interesting that Joy Reid is now recognizing the power of the progressive movement when she supported uh, candidates who did not support the $15 minimum wage and fought with us tooth and nail the way that she hates now they're they're playing with Republicans. Shocker. Uh, Lance uh, from the surfs, welcome. Uh, what, what's your what's your take on this little dynamic here? We were just talking about how the movement uh, <laughs> we're, we're facing a lot of obstacles that were possibly unforeseen in the growth of 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 the right at a pace that um, you know, we're not organizing necessarily at that, that the, the same pace, I guess, is the way, way of saying it. What's your take on how Joy Reid's <laughs> taking this? Can, can you hear me first off? I just want yeah, to we can hear you. We're good. Audio. Oh, awesome. Good. Okay. Well, this is fantastic. Uh, hi everybody. Thanks for having me on the show again. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, I, I'll say this, I guess, cause you, you bring me on as the, uh, kind of uh, exotic foreign correspondent from Canada uh, to talk about, uh, the differences and juxtaposed between the two countries. Um, it's, never going to stop shocking me how every single time I watch what is going on in the United States when it comes to the rules and decorum, uh, 
the Republicans are fine with doing things that most people would consider egregious. Uh, like they, they figure out the demographics aren't going to help them win elections. So let's just gerrymander districts. Let's uh, do voter suppression of the black population and stuff like that. Whatever it takes to win, basically, it's cutthroat, it's ruthless. And, I mean, it's, it's racist as well. But like just calling a spade a spade, they don't really care about decorum as much, where it seems like something that will genuinely benefit uh, millions of Americans and, and lift many of them out of poverty, like the $15 minimum wage. Suddenly, we're concerned about the parliamentary system, right? Uh, that that uh, well, not literally the parliamentary system, but you understand what I mean. The 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 act of like, can we not do something else to push this through? In two thousand and twenty-two, the Democrats are going to get smoked, smoked, like absolutely destroyed. We're going to see a repeat of what had happened uh, during like the first midterms after Obama. What they need to do is things that are genuinely going to help Americans, even Americans who hate them, right? Americans who live in like, you know, either the Rust Belt or parts of America where the idea of a $15 minimum, which would genuinely change lives. Those are the things they need to be fighting for at this moment in time. Joshua, we're getting smoked. <laughs> of course. You know, I mean, that you, you, you actually said this on the majority report earlier of how much it embodies weakness. You know, it's just like that's all it looks like, you know, it's, I mean, what, what the American people love is uh, excuses, process excuses, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's beyond. What's that a line like, want to kill something, send it to a committee? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, saying that, I mean, they're not even saying this is hard. They're not saying this is too hard to do. They're just saying we respect abstract norms. So we're not even going to try to do it. I mean, there's, it, it the way that that telegraphs weakness, both to us to, and, and to their base and to their opposition, I'm not sure who they're trying to communicate with here. And, and on the $15 an hour minimum wage specifically, I mean, it's important to understand where capital is on this and, 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 and where they're lining up because, you know, uh, like a lot of capital gets that a $15 minimum wage is going to happen at some point. And many of them are either are doing it on their own for PR or because of grassroots activist pressure campaigns like the one against McDonald's right now, which go for fight, go to fightfor15.org if you want to support that campaign. The, you know, the Amazon victory, Costco raised their minimum wage to $16 an hour, for example. And so the real question is, you know, who why is the Democratic leadership still living in the past on this? Maybe there's some donor pressure behind the scenes, but that's not really where the balance of forces even seems to be on this. And that's that's what's amazing to me. Uh, like if if capital were staunchly against this right now, right. it would be very obvious why they're why they're trying to do this. But but they're not. That's not even the case. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. I mean, that the $2,000 checks, like it, he, like we can afford, I mean, we have to do it. It's not, it's actually a protection for our economy. This isn't like just the fact that, that individuals need the money. It actually strengthens, if you're going to look at it through the lens of the economy being stronger, it strengthens the economy. We're a consumer-based economy. Like, I, I don't understand it either. It's, um, it's like when Amazon, uh, their their investors started, and we should never look at things through the lens of this, but this is important and it signals a lot that investors are, you know, calling out Amazon for the union busting. So does it just come down to what we all, f I mean, is this an oligarchy? Like, are we just sitting, is it five men in a row? <laughs> not trying to be conspiratorial, but like, is it like five company leaders that have a lot of sway, the Biden administration, that are deeply invested in keeping, uh, this isn't even the status quo, this is beyond. I mean, this is, status quo is putting a Band-Aid on it. They're not giving a Band-Aid out. Like, 
The heart right. is like falling out of the body and they're like, oh, look over there, splash some water on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, $15 really is the compromise. And contrast how the Democrats seem right now with what is coming from social movements. Actually, so can I, can I read, there, there was a statement in response yeah. from a McDonald's worker who's a grassroots union leader on behalf of the, the Fight for 15 campaign. Her name is Maribel Cornejo. And she, she just came out with a statement um, in response. Can I read it? The, so I'm just going to read a part of it, but she wrote, we will not be deterred by an archaic Senate process that throughout history has been used to delay or deny progress for black and brown communities while allowing multi-trillion dollar tax cuts for corporations. We know that increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour would give 32 million workers a raise, save taxpayers billions of dollars of spending on public assistance programs, give workers more money and put back into local businesses and, and revitalize the economy. Over the last eight years, workers with the fight for 15 and a union have marched in the streets, gone on strike, and put our lives on the line during a pandemic to win a $15 an hour minimum wage. We've already won $70 billion in raises for more than 27 million workers. We've elected a president and vice president who proudly say they support $15. We've transformed how people talk about wages in this country. We've done our job on behalf of the tens of millions of people across the country who desperately need a ways raise now it's time for our elected leaders to do the same and so i think it's just really important whenever we talk about the failure of national level politicians to talk about how vibrant social movements are on the ground and how much that they're they're winning and actually creating you know we, we need to translate those gains not into a company by company set of wins or a state by state set of wins but into national policy um but the 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 pressure from the ground is shifting the balance of forces, even if the Democrats are so far behind the curve, I, I can't even diagnose why. Um, this is Revolution Podcast says, this is interesting because you see people like Jamie Dimon talking about a $15 minimum wage. It's mind boggling to me. I mean, Lance, like, and I think you're having a little bit of a, your sound is having some issues. If you can check the chat, uh, Lance, when you get a chance, um, there's a little bit of a sound, I think maybe the Bluetooth, so maybe if we can adjust it, but let's try. Um, I mean, it's, it's what, like, I don't really remember. I'm, I'm struggling with this because I'm thinking about past administrations, past democratic administrations, and granted, you know, it's not even a hundred days yet, but they're signaling a lot. I don't recall any other democratic administration, including the Clinton administration, being so out of touch with the most immediate needs of the people, especially in a moment like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm personally worried. I mean, they're obviously out of touch, but, and there's been a lot of trickery, but like we're, we're spiraling into a depression. I mean, I, I read a statistic that last month, no small businesses in New York City paid their rent. Like sit, sit on that That's for a outrageous. second. That's yeah. outrageous. So yeah. we don't even have a good sense of where we are yet. Because we're so busy dealing with the pandemic and just trying to get basic checks. But, but once the evictions start happening, I don't think we're going to have a visible, but, but why? Like, I mean, is this in Canada? Do you have any sort of, <laughs> is, is Trudeau that out of touch? I mean, no, but seriously, you have, you have, you have safety nets in, in place, but like, is this a, a uniquely American 
uh, form of of like uh, you're, you're saying, well you're saying the disconnect i guess between the government itself and uh the needs of the people perhaps is, is that is that the question uh, beyond I, I, that i'm saying it's like a delusional you know not understanding like the, you're, you, the country's about to like fall into the ocean mm. <laughs> <And they're... laughs> yeah well okay i think i think we shouldn't uh take for granted the power that uh, both reagan and the post reagan presidents and administrations, including Bill Clinton, had in terms of pushing uh, this idea of vilifying unions in America and effectively crushing them. And the idea now is that we're seeing a resurgence, thankfully, in large part due to a grassroots, uh, you know, progressive as well as left-wing campaign in the United States uh, and in Canada worldwide, uh, which is very, very good to see. But that idea that unions aren't actually your enemy, the paying dues isn't just a way for these fat cat union bosses to, to take what little money you get and then destroy your livelihood, that turns out to be false we're seeing a resurgence of that but that is very recent and that is that is very important that this is happening this is one of the reasons why people like uh you know bezos is trying to stifle the amazon unionization efforts that are going on because it will be a domino effect once people get more worker rights once they get better conditions once they get paid sick leave once they get maternity leave like oh my word uh once they get these kind of things it's a pandora's box they're not going to want to give that up they're gonna be like this is just a better quality of life it's it's, it's the same thing bernie sanders messaging worked really well because because all of a sudden the idea of something that they take for granted in Nordic countries, everyone else was like, wait, what, that, that's a thing? You, you, you can do that? But like women get paid in train leave? Fathers get a paternity leave? These things are real? Like all of a sudden, this, this it's a brave new world. Wow. Um, that being said, I, I think it's been so reinforced and indoctrinated both into American culture and, and, and it's been done by uh, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, like I said, since kind of the Thatcher Reagan era, that we should vilify the idea of unions. So while there is a, a huge disconnect between those two sentiments there are still some glimmers of hope that i don't want to throw out for example the other day when joe biden came forward and spoke as in as strong a terms i guess as he could in favor of the union amazon efforts saying that he didn't say that i agree with you which would have been fantastic but it was more just that like no worker has the right to quash unions uh, your voices need to be heard right people shouldn't take for granted what little moments like that actually do in terms of like maybe changing the public discourse that being said the 15 dollars minimum wage why are they fighting back and forth i don't know how far this goes in terms of their genuine belief. But there's this idea that small businesses, if the, the minimum wage is raised in the United States to $15 an hour, they will collapse. And, and they are, again, are the, the bedrock of America. Whereas the truth of the matter, if they were being intellectually honest about it, is that America is really more like a bunch of small countries, independent countries. All these states are very, very different from one another. And what is good in one state, which is uh, the $15 minimum wage, doesn't apply to another state. Very expensive states, say like California, they can have much and afford much higher higher minimum wages than $15 an hour, right? It's because right now we're trying to apply a blanket rule because if we don't do this, then there's effectively nothing. I mean, uh, frankly, if nobody can support themselves off a $15 minimum wage in America. Yep. Um, prior to the pandemic, you know, there, there were plenty of reports that talked about living in a one-bedroom uh, apartment. You can't survive off $15 an hour. Um, final word, Joshua. Oh, I just want to say the, you know, Lance, when you were mentioning Joe Biden's statement, you know, the, the, the first thing that went off in my brain, the like organizer brain is like the, the campaign's going to be cutting an ad with this, right? The campaign's going to be using this statement as an organizing tool to convince people that 
it's not so scary to join a union. And so there's, there's, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are not organizers who reacted to that critically saying, you know, he didn't mention Amazon specifically. He didn't mention Vesmer specifically, which is true. I wish he did. Of course, I wish he did. And, um, what, what that creates for, for smart organizers is uh, a bunch of uh, tools that you can then use and apply uh, in a fraught campaign. And so th those are the moments when we can pressure politicians uh, to make statements like that, that we can, we can um, use that to our advantage. To give it legs, as they mm -hmm. say in the mm -hmm. biz. Josh McCon Russell, Plans from the Surfs. We love you. You're the best. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Hey, guys, wait, I didn't do my little thing. Make sure to uh, smash the like button, subscribe, check out uh, the Surf's TV over on Twitch, right? Where else? Anywhere else? Nope. You, you, you will find it. We'll put it in the comment section. Uh, thank you to everybody that is in the chat right now on Twitch at twitch.com slash the underscore Nomiki underscore TV or show. I can't even do it right. Oh, my God. <laughs> We'll put the link up there for everybody on YouTube. But thanks to everybody on YouTube. Uh, make sure to smash that like button, click subscribe. We get a shout out for um, wildfireproject.org. Yes, yes, of course. Check it Turn out. Up. Check it out. Wildfireproject.org. <laughs> Wildfireproject.org. And just, just to shake it up more, uh, Matriarch. Matriarch is planning a, uh, there's going to be a, a late spring training, very exciting. So go sign up to, at uh, matriarch, matriarchpack.com. We are crowdsourcing for this training. So if you can throw in some extra bucks, it is really hard to fundraise right now. They've banned political ads. Um, it's been very hard for a lot of organizations out there. So, you know, whatever you can give, it'll go a long way. These trainings are a big deal. Uh, we're transforming the way women, working women in particular, uh, run for office and excited to hopefully recruit you know, another, another, you know, maybe dozen uh, strong women to go into the house and, and help out, you know, our strong progressives there. All right. Pete from Oakland says, oh, thank you. Sends her love. Loving today's lineup. Nomi Key just got my copy of Naomi Klein's new book yesterday. Thank you for introducing wonderful folks to us. PR statehood party was connected to Tom Perez, right? Nomi Key? Yes. They cut a deal. Um, we'll talk about that tomorrow. If, if, if we end up I think we're going to make that a topic on tomorrow's show. Kowalski from Nebraska says, so my state GOP meeting was bad. Oof. Never Trumpers exist, but don't speak up. The party leaders off openly fired up the crowd with lies like the steel almost got punched by calling out anti-Semitic remarks. Wow. The state of the GOP in this country today. Ian Kinzel uh, says, thanks to the big lie. I now know that COVID is a conspiracy to control me by keeping me from work, but work doesn't control me at all. <laughs> Perfect response to that conspiratorial remark that I found. Uh, infrared rising, that comes from Mateo. And Ken M sends some love and Cam, Cammy J, I'm sorry, I don't have my glasses on. We will not be able to accomplish anything with the filibuster until it's gone. Everything coming out of the house is messaging bills. Messaging bills, it is absolutely correct, spot on. All right, everybody, thank you to Professor Harvey K, who's been in the chats today on uh, YouTube and Twitch. Big thank you to Mario for working the algorithms. And as always, Huge, huge thanks to Bob C, Chokin, The Orb, and Chuck Diesel, and to Dorian Sapiens, A Difficult Troop, Nightbot, Our Means, Nug Wrangler, all on Twitch for keeping the chat room troll free. That is a chat room troll free, chat room troll free, chat room troll free. I'm gonna have a glass of water now. See you tomorrow, everybody. Stay in solidarity.